There's no greater adventure in life than walking with God, and there's no better way to walk with Him than by exploring and responding to His Word, the Bible. The Walking with God podcast is dedicated to bringing God's Word to life in your life. It features the teaching ministry of Dr. Scott Fenton, pastor, Bible scholar, and expert guide of the Holy Lands of the Bible. He has lived, studied, and explored every inch of the promised lands of Israel and of Jordan. And for the past 31 years, he has served as lead pastor of Meadows Baptist Church in Plano, Texas. I'm your host, Ron Sear, inviting you to prepare your heart to walk with God. I still remember the night in 1974 when Christ came into my life. I had always believed in Jesus my whole life. I was raised in a Christian home, went to church every Sunday I can remember. I never doubted the veracity of this story that Jesus came down from heaven, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead. I I just didn't have that living Savior in my life. And I know that's probably true for some of you here in the house and that are joining online, and I just want to urge you. It's our earnest prayer today that every one of you might find Christ personally, that you might celebrate the real meaning of Easter by inviting the living Christ, the risen Christ, into your life and to know that power that raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. Uh, I want to invite you to uh, open a Bible, if you have one with you. We'll be in the New Testament book of John uh, that I'll be sharing an incredible text with you this morning, and you'll be prepared there. But I want to begin with the Old Testament. It's from the book of Joshua. Joshua was the successor of Moses, and he's the one that led God's people into the promised land. As he was preparing for that entry, God spoke to him and said, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. In the kingdom of heaven, success has always been measured by one's obedience to God. On the screens, you'll see this picture of ultra-Orthodox Jews. Many of them, as you see, are covered with their prayer shawls, earnestly pleading with God in intercessory prayer at that western wall that was the retaining wall of the Temple Mount in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ. Their black suits and their long side curls, their phylacteries on their foreheads, all display a devoted commitment to know and study and keep the commandments of God. All 613 of them, to be exact, all that's left of that sacred temple that you saw is that western retaining wall. Here, every day, devout Jews lament their sins and they pray for a restoration of Israel and a rebuilding of that temple. 
As we celebrate Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday today, it's interesting to remember one of the claims of Christ before he was crucified. One day while teaching at that very temple area, he declared, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. It was an incredulous claim. In fact, they replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days? That temple of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. That was 1,951 years ago. It has not been rebuilt to this very day. But the miraculous rebuilding project of which Jesus prophesied was not about stones, but about spirit. It was not about a building, but about his body. Just as he promised, three days later, he rose from the grave. He resurrected from the dead. He conquered death and hell. Jesus lives today. Hallelujah, I'm telling you. He's alive. And it's not just a story. It's an encounter that God wants with each one of us this morning. The resurrection, when you think about it, is the great differentiator between Christianity and all other religions, all other worldviews, all other life perspectives. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the holy demands of God are satisfied. The way to eternal life is freely open to anyone who will come to God through faith in Christ. And this unpassable chasm between the kingdom of heaven and this world is crossed. But I'll admit, oftentimes religion can be quite complicated. It can really be complex, but Jesus offers a better way. He peeled away all of the externals, and in the resurrection, he revealed the heart of God and the heart of the divine life. He took all 613 commandments of God, and he summed them up in one word. Love. Love for God and love for others. When Jesus was asked to prioritize the commandments of God, Jesus lifted love above all. He replied, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second commandment, of importance is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. I, to get through this message, I'm going to need some water. Somebody will help me, Tim, with that. Uh, I can tell that this glory, look at that. Man, I'm glad I married this woman 41 years ago. Come on, man, be faster, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Think about this. 
If we could master the way of love, we would know the key to eternal life, and we would discover how to live a great life for the glory of God. But the resurrection story, the Easter story, is really a story all about love. But the great thing is it's a story that includes each one of us this morning in honor of the resurrection. I want to help you trace the love of God that brought Christ down from heaven, that inspired him to live a sinless life, that took him to a sinner's cross, that led him into that grave, and that brought him back in the resurrection by the power of God. Because of the resurrection this morning, I want to remind you that hope is never more than a heart's cry away. And this morning, I want you to discover that in Christ. Now, over the past three months, uh, I have been walking us through this teaching series called Stronger Together. I prophetically trumpeted to us week after week that we really are stronger connected together. But the secret of our strength is not just walking through these doors. It's not just streaming online to a service. We truly are only stronger together when we obey the commandments of Scripture, the one another commandments, and that's what this series has all been about. We've looked Sunday after Sunday at how we're stronger together as the body of Christ because we belong to each other. We serve each other. We forgive one another. We submit to one another. We encourage one another. We accept one another. We teach one another. We greet one another. We honor one another. We fellowship with one another. And last Sunday, I reminded you of the commandment that we're to build one another up. And so appropriately, this morning, I crowned this teaching series with the greatest one another commandment of all, the commandment that we're to love one another. So open with me to John chapter 16, verses 34 and 35. If you don't have your Bible, in fact, we'll put it on the screen for you. Let's stand together. This is the Word of God, and I want you to declare it with me as we read together. And pray for my throat. Man, something's tickling me. I guess it's the resurrection. But let's read together. You ready? This is the New International Version, so if it's different from your translation, uh, read from the screen so we can read in unison. Are you ready? Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one one another. Wow, pretty incredible what's promised in this passage. Thank you. You may be seated. In this marvelous text from God's Word, I want you to see this morning, and I want you to experience a new expression of love. Jesus said, I have loved you. And I want you uh, to hear this new expectation of love. Jesus said, I want you to love 
one another. But I also want to show you from the text this incredible and amazing promise that if you can master the way of love, then everyone who crosses paths with you in this life will know that you are authentically a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not because of how you look, not because of how you talk, but because of how you love. So let's begin this Easter journey into the depths of God's love this morning by recalling that Jesus demonstrates a new expression of love. He said, as I have loved you. There's nothing better than to be loved, and there's no greater love than the love of Christ. What I want you to see is that it was love that inspired Jesus to do what he did. Jesus heard the call of love from his Father. I don't know if you've ever put this together, but the author of Hebrews quotes from a messianic psalm, Psalm chapter 40, and he puts together this conversation between the heavenly Father and his Son in eternity past. It's amazing. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 through 7. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Remember the Jewish sacrificial system. This is how you worshiped. This is how you acknowledged your sin. This is how you stepped into the presence of a holy God. You brought the animal sacrifice. That animal lost its life and its blood was a reminder of how serious it was to step into the presence of God. But here in this pre-eternal conversation, the Father is saying to the Son, sacrifices like that won't do. And Jesus heard the call of heaven that a body had been prepared for him. An earthly body, a physical body, a human body. He goes on to say, with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, this is Jesus, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, the, the scriptures. I have come to do your will, oh my God. Isn't that amazing? Did you realize that conversation went on in pre-eternity between the Father and the Son? Jesus didn't have to come to this earth. He responded to the call of love in honor of his Father. That's what the incarnation was. It was Jesus' response to God's divine call. Jesus came down from heaven. But not just the call of love, notice the conduct of love. Jesus came to heaven and for over three decades he displays what it is to live for God, to show that love through his obedience and response to the divine will. In fact, just before Jesus is arrested and taken to the cross, in John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. 
He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. This is a play on words, the telos, not only the end of his life, but he shows the depths, the bottom, the end, the full revelation of his love for mankind. How would he do that? The cross. That's the full display of God's love for you. And the cost of love is really more than we can fathom. In perhaps the most famous verse in all of the Bible, we're reminded of the cost it was to the Father in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Think about it. What did it cost him? That he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There was a price to be paid by the Father who gave his Son. But then there's the cost that the Son paid in giving his life. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches, talking about Satan, the little G-God of this world. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me. And listen to this. He says to his disciples, so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. That's what Jesus did. He understood the cost of love, and he laid down his life. The incarnation was the call of love, the manifestation of that perfect life for 33 years was the conduct of love, and his death on the cross was the cost of love. But this morning, we're here to celebrate that the story does not end in the tomb. The conquest of love is spoken in 1 Corinthians 6, 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Hallelujah. That's Easter Sunday. That's not just the story, but think about it. Whatever you're facing, maybe it's a, a physical challenge that you're living through. Maybe it's a financial one. Maybe it's a relational one. Maybe it's a heart issue of just feeling hopeless. There's nothing that is beyond the hopelessness of death. And the power of God took a dead corpse the body that had been prepared for the Son of God, and he raised that dead body. It wasn't a sick body. It wasn't a weakened body. It wasn't a limited. It was a dead body. It was a corpse. There was nothing left. And the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. You think that power can't meet you at the point of your struggle, of your darkness, of your need? You think you have to bring more to the table than Jesus brought from the tomb? He didn't add anything to the power of God that raised him from the dead except his willingness to submit to the will of God. That was all Jesus gave, and the power of the resurrection uh, 
brought him back to life. So you see, friend, the Easter story really is a love story. It's what brought Jesus down from heaven. It's what inspired him to live that life of obedience to God. And it nailed him to the cross and raised him from the dead. Jesus really does love you. It doesn't get any deeper than this theological declaration. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. It's a love story, and it's about you. It's about the power of God bringing you back from the dead. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that we are not limited or hampered or hindered because of our bad decisions in life. No, the Bible declares you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You see, that's what I didn't understand. I, I thought I was a Christian because of where I went. I thought I was a Christian because of the tradition I believed. But I didn't understand that I was a dead man walking. That unless I experienced a supernatural, inexplicable, divine resurrection of my life, that I was dead. I was lost. I was outside the will of God. And some of you are probably right where I was. The story is not enough. The tradition is not enough. You're dead. And until you're born again, there is no hope of eternal life. But in this great text, Jesus not only displays his love, but he defines a new expectation of love. He says, I have loved you, but then he commands, this is a new commandment. This is a little bit tricky if you're not familiar with the Bible. You may have read this or heard it for the first time this morning and thought, oh, I get it, the Old Testament, the New Testament, so this is about the New Testament. Actually, the Old Testament says that you're to love. This is not a new commandment to love others or to love God. There's nothing new about that. What's new about this commandment is the kind of love that it was. Jesus said, you are to love one another as I have loved you. That's what's new about it. That it was a love beyond us that Jesus is commanding his followers to exhibit. It's an impossible command when you think about it. Who of us would stand and testify that since I've given my life to Christ, I've loved my spouse with God's love unceasingly. I've loved my children with God's love unceasingly. I've loved my neighbor with God. None of us have done that. The new commandment is not new that we're to love God or to love others. The new commandment is that we're to do it with this love that comes from Christ. It's impossible apart from the resurrection. You can't love like this. 
Only Jesus can love like this. That's why he's saying, if you love like this, people will know that's not their love. That is a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's Jesus loving in them. So this expectation of loving really uh, the unlovely, loving those that don't love us back. I mean, there are those that are so dysfunctional because of sin that they don't even love those that love them. That's really sad, isn't it? Some of you may have someone like that in your family. And yet, Jesus is not talking about that. Most people reciprocate when they're loved. In fact, in, in my four decades of ministry, I, I can't think of a single person that loved me that I didn't love. Because I, I love to be loved. <laughs> and we all love to be loved unless we're so dysfunctional that we turn it and twist it around some way. That's not the evidence of having the divine life of God in you. The evidence is when you can love unceasingly and love the unlovely. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you heard that it was said... Love your neighbor. See, that's Old Testament. That's not a new commandment. And hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Uh, this morning, uh, before I left the house, my three-year-old grandson, Miles, prayed for me preaching today. You think I had to discipline myself to love that boy? <laughs> no, no. No, it's easy to love Miles. He loves me. We love those. Pagans do that. People who don't know the power of God can love those that love them because we love being loved. If you greet only your own people, that uh, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do this. This is a different kind of love. And did you know the Bible in all of human literature gives the greatest description of this divine love? In fact, there's a word for it in the Greek language. It's a special word called agape. It's divine love. It's not, uh, it's not romantic love like we would think of, eros. It's not friendship love like we would think of. Uh, this is philos. No, this is agape. This is divine love. This is for God so agape the world. This is the love of God. And the Bible describes exactly what this love looks like. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're given the 16 dis disciplines of divine love. Did you know that? You know what the, the seventh discipline of divine love is? It's not self-seeking. You know what the 11th discipline of divine love is? It rejoices with the truth. See, this is an explicit description of what agape looks like, how agape responds at home, at school, with your neighbors, 
You've read it, haven't you? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Agape, get this, never fails. It never runs out. It never is unable to meet the task. These are the 16 disciplines of agape love. This is the new commandment. Agape one another. Agape your spouse. Agape your children. Agape your boss. Agape your pastor, please. Agape everyone. This is the new commandment of Jesus Christ. But you know, the reality is that we must find internal motivation to love like this. You don't need to be inspired to love the lovely, to love those who love you. That motivation is intrinsic. But to love with divine love, to love with God's love, requires a different kind of inspiration. Jesus talked about it beautifully in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 48. He tells a story. There was a, this is a real story. There was a devout dinner invitation extended to the Lord Jesus. One of the most devout of the day, the sect were called the Pharisees. They were devoted to all 613 commandments of God. They did their best every day to obey the commandments. And this Pharisee was trying to figure out if Jesus was really from God. So he invites him to a dinner party. But at that dinner party, there's an uninvited intrusion. I mean, of all things, this is a, this is a VIP banquet. It's, it's by invitation only. But this uninvited woman barges in and breaks into the party, and the Scripture just describes her is that she was a woman uh, living in sin. Seems to be a euphemism for sexual misconduct. She probably was a prostitute, how she made her living, it seems to insinuate. And the, th this is kind of a funny side story. <laughs> the Pharisee knew who she was. How did he know? <laughs> but he recognized who this woman was. And this woman just puts on an embarrassing display of affection for Jesus. She falls down at Jesus' feet, and she is just brokenhearted. She's just weeping uncontrollably. Her tears are so profuse that she wets the dusty feet of the master and begins to dry his wetted feet by her tears with her hair. And then she takes this beautiful, recognizable, expensive alabaster jar of ointment and she breaks it open and she pours out this ointment on Jesus' feet. 
I mean, have you ever been in a situation that, you know, it was embarrassing and you, you, you're just trying to act like, okay, I didn't see that. I, I, I'm going to act like nothing's happening. Can you imagine being at this dinner party and this unfolding like this? Simon, it, it, here's the horror of it all. He doesn't realize that Jesus can read his heart. And so he's thinking to himself. He thinks this is a private conversation he's having with his own soul. And he says to himself, all right, that's, that's all the evidence I need. This man is not from God because if he were from God, he would know what kind of woman this is and he would have shunned her. <laughs> Again, these are his private thoughts. That he kind of smugly decides, okay, I, I got what I was after. This one, he, he couldn't really be the Messiah. But then uh, Jesus it gives a pop quiz. You, you know, those, you remember those from your school days? Don't you hate pop quiz? I mean, you probably hate any kind of quiz. I, I didn't like any kind of test, but especially the ones that were just, you know, sprung on you. You didn't know it was going to happen today. You certainly hadn't prepared for it. Jesus gives a pop quiz to Simon. He says, Simon, I want to teach you something. And, and the Pharisee says, I, I'm all ears, Lord. And then Jesus tells this parable. He said, there was a moneylender, Simon, and he had lent to one person enough money it would have taken them 500 days labor to pay back that debt. And he had a second debtor he loaned 50 days wages to. But the reality was that neither man was able to meet the debt obligation that had been incurred. They didn't have money to pay back their debt. And so uh, out of the benevolent heart of the money lender, he pardons both debtors and their debts. And the pop quiz was this, Simon, which of those two do you think would love the money lender the most? Simon said, I, I suppose it would be the one who had been forgiven the greatest debt. It was ten times the debt of the other man. So you would think he would be ten times more grateful. He would love the moneylender the most. Jesus said, A plus. You passed the test, but you flunked the moral standard, Simon. I came into your house you didn't give water for my dusty feet, but this woman has wet my feet with her tears. I came in, Simon, you didn't give me the cultural, traditional kiss of welcome, but this woman has not ceased kissing my feet. You did not waste your precious oil on my head, but this woman has wasted her expensive perfume on my feet. This woman is a sinner, but she clearly has been forgiven as evidenced by her great knowledge? No. By her great reputation? No. By her great studies? No. It's evidence that she's been forgiven because look how greatly she loves me. And he says to the woman, 
your sins are forgiven. See, the inspiration for this new commandment to love with God's love must emerge from our recognition of the unpayable debt we owe to God. Paul said in Romans 13, 8, Owe no man anything except the continuing debt, the unpayable debt to love one another. We love not because people are lovely. We love not because people love us. We love because like that woman, that uninvited woman at the banquet, we recognize how much has been forgiven in our lives. Yes, Easter is a love story that demonstrates a new expression of love. I have loved you. And it defines a new expectation of love. As Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. But finally notice that in this text, Jesus delights in a new examination of love. If we will respond with the great love of God, Jesus has promised, this is amazing, by this, more people than not will recognize that you're a true Christian. No, that's not the promise. By this, there'll be no exception. Everyone, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Without love, we can serve, we can do good, we can be upstanding citizens, we can contribute to our community and society, but it is dead-end service. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have agape. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have agape, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and even give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, agape, I gain nothing. This love is the signature mark of true followers of Christ. I knew the story of the resurrection for 17 years of my life, but I didn't know this kind of love. I didn't live like this. The mark of a person who knows God is this living Christ in us. Acts 4.13 says of the apostles after the resurrection, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, 
and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That was the telltale sign. Jesus said, love is the demonstration of a changed life. John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and will manifest myself to him. It is an incredible story of the love of God as displayed in Jesus Christ. And it's that love that we're to live by as evidence that the one who died for us and rose from the dead is living in us. This resurrection love story is really captured in the 21st chapter of John. Jesus had died, he'd been buried, he'd rose from the dead, and he meets his disciples as he promised on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And there, the fishermen have been out all night, and Jesus appears on the shore, and he has this delightful encounter, this resurrection encounter with the disciples. And after breakfast, he takes Peter, the one who had denied him three times. And Jesus takes Peter to the side, and he questions him three times. You don't really catch the nuance of the story in the English translation because we don't have different words for love like there is in the Greek New Testament. But what happens in the encounter is really what I want to close with to share with you the secret of resurrection life that God wants us to have. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me more than these? And Peter responds, realizing that Jesus knows him through and through. Jesus had told him he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed, you remember. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know, the English just says, Jesus asked, do you love me? And Peter said, you know I love you. But that's not how it went down. Jesus said, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with God's love, with divine love, with unceasing love? And Peter knew he couldn't do that. He knew he'd fail that. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. I love you like a brother, but it's human love. I've already failed you three times. I know I'll fail you again. Jesus said, feed my lambs. The second time Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Second time, Peter said, Lord, can't hide anything from you. You know that I phileo you. You know that my love falls short. Jesus said, shepherd my flock. And then the third time, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And the text says Peter was grieved because the third time Jesus asked him, do you love me? But really what happened was that the third time Jesus switched words. The third time he didn't say, Peter, do you agape me? The third time he said, Peter, do you phileo me? And so Peter was grieved. Well, why was he grieved? 
He was grieved because he couldn't measure up to the great love of God. He was grieved to recognize, as much as I love the Lord, as much as I want to serve the Lord, no, I fall short. Peter, do you fillet oh me? Oh, yes, Lord. I'm grieved that you know my failures. I'm grieved that I fall short, but I do fillet oh you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. What was he saying in that encounter? I just want you to know that I know that you're inadequate. But I still want you, Peter. And if you'll respond to me, I'll love and live through you. That's the Easter story. I knew Jesus rose from the dead all my life, and it did nothing for me until Jesus came to live in me and love in me. That's the glory of the resurrection. It's in knowing Christ is living in you. So here's my offer today. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, for Christ's love compels us. Are you compelled by the love of God that gave His Son? Are you squeezed by the love of God that He gave His life for you? Paul said, we're compelled by this love because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, so that those who Live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. This is the invitation. If you've never recognized there's more to the Easter story than the story of Christ's resurrection, there has to be the story of your resurrection you have to come back to life by the power of God. If you've never given your life to Christ, I want to urge you to do that right now here in the house or online. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I want to give my life away to you. Come into my life and live in me. But the trick is, if you've made that commitment, there is not room in any life for two lives. The only way Jesus lives through us is when we die to ourselves. And so if you've already taken that first step to say, Jesus, come live in me, but you didn't realize that for you to experience the power of God, you have a responsibility every day to die to yourself, to lay down your life, maybe not on the cross, but to willfully say, I give my life to God so that Christ may live in me. That's the invitation of Easter. It doesn't happen on one Sunday a year. Resurrection Sunday happens every day in my life because Jesus lives in me as I die to myself. Amen.
I hope you'll respond and give that offering to God today. Let's stand together. I want to give you this parting blessing this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. If you'd like this blessing from God, just open your hands, palms up to the Lord. It's a great show of humility before the God of heaven. Listen, we say it often here. You come as you are to Meadows Baptist Church, but please don't leave like you came. Jesus lives in you only to the degree that you die to yourself. And some of you as Christians are preferring a dead life to the life of Christ. That ought to change today. May it change with this blessing. May you discover the depths of God's love for each one of you. May you display the richness of God's love for others. May you develop an undying love for God himself. May you be known as true disciples of Jesus the Christ because of your love. And may you always remember, Jesus is risen! Amen, you're dismissed. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walking with God, featuring the teaching ministry of Dr. Scott Fenton. If you love walking with God and want to help others do the same, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and to share it with a friend. We would love to hear from you and pray for any concerns you may have. You can reach us at walkingwithgod.com at meadowsbaptist.org that's walking with God at meadowsbaptist.org and be sure to request a free copy of Dr. Fenton's booklet The Sacred Journey Exploring the Stories Sights and Saints of the Biblical Promised Land Have a great week walking with God and be sure to stay in God's Word so God's Word can stay in you